Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. Since 2006, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news and tech from around Ireland and across the world. We are the podcast that likes to broadcast on air with RTE Digital Radio and online via your favourite podcasting apps from Apple, Google or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, actually, by the way, do leave us a five-star rating because it helps people like you find this programme. Uh, we also keep you up to date daily with all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. We're up to show number 821 and I'm joined by my partner in crime as always, Niall Kitson, Editor-in-Chief at Tech Central. How are you keeping? Yeah, not quite live and somewhat direct from the COVID kitchen. Yeah, and and an unfortunate choice of description for us, Dusty, as, as partner in crime, because that speaks directly to I guess three of of our stories for the for today. Yes, uh, it's all about facial recognition and police and everything else that's going on in the world. I think uh, what's going on in the states at the moment, with all the racial tension and everything, is being used partly for these news stories. But I think these news stories are going to happen anyway, and they're using this as an excuse to do it. Does that make sense? Um, I think excuses is a, a strange word to use. I think this is the flashpoint. This is the, the hard case yeah. at which well, you look at facial recognition and go, OK, if not for now, then, yeah, let's park this technology for a few years. Yeah. And it, it, this is all kind of kicked off with a, an announcement from IBM this week, uh, which has been coming for a while. So what was the, what was the announcement from IBM? Yeah, IBM came out and in no uncertain terms said, yeah, we're getting out of the facial recognition business. We're not into it anymore. Um, Yep, this is something that we're able to do, but we're just, we're walking away from it. Uh, To the extent that the CEO, Arvind Krishna, uh, came out and made the announcement, uh, in his own words, IBM no longer offers general purpose IBM facial recognition or analysis software. That's it. That is no, you know, completely unequivocal, unequivocal, as he says. IBM firmly opposes and will not condone uses of any technology, including facial recognition technology offered by other vendors for mass surveillance, racial profiling, violations of basic human rights and freedoms, or any purpose which is not consistent with our value with our values of principles of trust and transparency. How refreshing is it? To hear a tech CEO come out and say, we're not having this. Well, the first question I have to ask you, Niall, is why do you believe him? Uh, because he is the he has the power to uh, to actually say, yeah, OK, not using this technology. It's it's not a it's not a policy. It's not a we promise to do better. Uh, it's a categorical. Yep. We're not letting our technology be used in this way by anyone. It is very categorical because when if you think about it, IBM would have stood to have made a serious amount of money out of that. Absolutely. I mean, and there I was mean, a market for it. There certainly is, uh, especially if you look at uh, law enforcement and facial recognition and mm. projects such as you know, terrorism or human trafficking uh, or any of this sort of thing. Um, the uses of facial recognition are many fold and in many cases quite beneficial. Uh, it's when you get to the stage where 
too many people have been using it for negative reasons or the opportunity to use it for negative reasons mm. outweighs the positive use benefits, which I think is where we are at the moment. Have you ever seen facial recognition in operation? I have. And this sort of relates to story number three on our list. So maybe we can come back to that in a few minutes because IBM aren't the only company that have come out and said, not on our watch. Amazon or, you know, AWS really, uh, which is the their back end that powers pretty much everything you use online. Um, they've also come out and said they have a particular project called uh, Recognition. Uh, and they said, you know what? Yeah, we, we had a, a thing going with Recognition to help uh, rescue kids that have been trafficked or, or whatever, or help reunite missing children with their families. And again, these are laudable, very important use cases. But AWS has come out and said, look, until we get better uh, guidance from Congress in the US, we're putting a, a one-year moratorium on this product. It might come mm. back, it might not, but you know what? We want better direction and better frameworks governing how we can use this a technology that will keep our customers happy, that will keep the public happy and reassured. And that, I suppose, if you want to be cynical, will keep this product profitable. Do you think it's something similar to uh, in and around, say, the year 2000? All right. So the Internet was starting to become very popular and people felt they could do anything online and it needed some kind of regulation and some manners put on it. Do you think that's where we are with facial technology now? I think that's where we are with social media. I think facial recognition is wrapped up in that to a large extent because everything gets filtered through social media now. So always the the filter seems to be if it can be messed up through social media, then we have a problem. Mm. Uh, I mean, with facial recognition, um, we have this case, which I, I suppose we may as well jump into right now, where Microsoft had made a huge blunder when they uh, handed over their image recognition to AIs uh, ahead of um, human editors. And I'll, I'll go into the detail on that now. But effectively, it was mixing up people of uh, mixed race heritage. So the group Little Mix has two... Uh, Two um, uh, characters who two characters two singers two, lady, two members two ladies if you want to say ladies of color or whatever yeah um, who uh, were incorrectly labeled mm. on their on their um, band bio you know so the, this is completely ridiculous and what's interesting about the Microsoft case is that Microsoft, if you log on to MSN, you'll see there's news from all over the world. There's news from lots of different sources that's on your homepage that's sort of tailored to you. And for a long time, that was sort of done by human moderators, that they had, you know, so many um, feeds of content that would come in and they go, we'll pick that, we'll pick that, we'll pick that. And they would construct homepages based on, you know, the trending stories of the day from anywhere. Well, based on their content partners and their, their partners would get sort of a revenue share uh, on the back of those these uh, these deals. And uh, they had human editors, human moderators looking after this content for a long time. And then Microsoft made a decision that, you know, we can actually do this stuff using AI. This is exactly the sort of job that is 
perfectly suited to AI because you can see somebody's search history, you can see somebody's MSN history, you can pick out blocks of content automatically and reconstruct people's homepages for them. I guess, do you remember um, Google Now? Do you remember Google oh, now? Oh my God, you are going back. It, it basically uh, yeah. pulled together all the bits of the internet that you know, you'd like and just yeah. presents all these RSS feeds together. Um, my Yahoo did did pretty much the same thing and was was very useful. Uh, you know, unfortunate that such products got uh, got pulled when they did. But yeah, so basically Microsoft got rid of a swathe of human editors, uh, replaced them with AI, and unfortunately, um, they were taking articles and misna- misnaming them. Mis- What's the what's the word? Misnomer. <laughs> Putting the wrong names on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting, Putting the, the wrong, wrong names, names because the facial recognition software failed. Where somebody that was actually just sitting in front of a computer would just label things, and it wouldn't be even a it wouldn't be even a thing. It wouldn't even be a thing. Well, it just goes to show. Like, you know, I keep saying it over and over again that computers are the most stupid thing that we have for the moment. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, what I mean is, is if you, you tell a computer all the parameters and everything that it can and cannot do, and it'll do that uh, brilliantly until it meets something outside of that parameters and it just goes, duh. Yeah, and, <laughs> and these parameters when it comes to AI, um, they are quite narrow at the moment. Yeah. We're, we're still trying to get AI to, well, which is wonderful at number crunching, but common sense doesn't exist. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're at that stage still. Listen, let's move on to the uh, the other big story of the week, and that comes from Apple. Yeah, this has been flagged for quite a while, and this is a WWDC has fallen prey, uh, another show to fall prey to COVID-19. This is, a, again, it's going to be held remotely. Uh, it's going to be online only from on June 22nd, I believe it's going to be this year. And uh, the buzz is we're going to hear about the move from... Uh, Intel-based Macs to ARM-based Macs. So, you know, you might remember years ago, IBM used to make the chips for Macs up until 2006. Mm. I think the G5, if you remember that beast of a thing, uh, was the last generation of Macs to use IBM processors. Uh, Then they moved over to Intel in 2006, which by all accounts was a massive hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, in recent years, Apple has taken to making their own chips um, and they will now be moving on to ARM, uh, forsaking Intel for ARM from next year. And apparently um, the, the performance improvements are manifold. Um, so, yeah, good news for Apple users in all likelihood. This does mean that if you've bought a new MacBook, uh, MacBook Pro 13 inch, uh and you finally got a keyboard that you really like, you're looking down the barrel of, you know, maybe three years time, all the uh, all the MacBooks will be now going with a vastly superior processor than mm-hmm. what you're paying out for at the moment, uh, which is another kick in the teeth of anyone that, that thinks their, uh, their MacBook will have any sense of mm. longevity built into it. But well, there you that's go. exactly all I remember from when they did the flip from the the PowerPC over to Intel. Yeah, uh, and like after two years, all of a sudden, software wouldn't work because it was only designed to work with the Intel processor. Yeah, I, I think Apple users kind of used to being messed about 
in this way for a while now because I remember the best version of Mac OS or OS X as it was at the time uh, was widely considered to be Snow Leopard for for years. And various updates came out like Lion, which people weren't happy with. And uh, people were just like, you know, this we had a really good version of OS X. Like, why are we doing this? I mean, this, this, there is no... There's no software reason for doing this. Um, so, you know, what's the what's the big deal? And of course, mm. Mac OS is what Mac OS is now. Uh, people are used to kind of annual updates at this stage that don't seem to, you know, I mean, they're free for one, which uh, which is grand. But <laughs> you, you still have to look back to, you know, Windows 7, which you go, do you know what? That was a great version of Windows. You know, yeah. if, if that's all Windows was still... I would be delighted. I think a lot of Mac users think the same about Snow Leopard. You know, it was stable. It was simple. Uh, yeah. It did exactly what you wanted. But the company needs to make more money, so they need to make them people want things faster. So things have changed. It's, uh, it's, it's inevitable. We'll see how it uh We'll see how that plays out anyway. Uh, listen, that's all the time we have for news for this week. Niall, thank you very much. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Why do normally sane people believe insane things that they pick up online on the internet? And why do they ignore the advice of experts who have their best interests at heart? Researchers at NUI Galway have been looking at this very phenomenon. And this week, Niall had a chat with Dr. Owen Whelan to find out how and why people let themselves believe the unbelievable. So I guess the central problem we're looking at here is kind of a, another example of the erosion of trust in, a, in our experts, be there from science or government, uh, a lot of which coming down to misinformation. So if we can just parse what the difference between misinformation is and maybe someone just misreading something they've come across either online or in a journal. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess with misinformation, it's more the, the intention is there to misinform other people and to make them believe something that's not verified or not as strictly true. So there's a bit of um, a deviant behavior behind misinformation if you want to um, think of it along those terms. So with the problem of misinformation, it's always been with us uh, throughout society. So it's only in recent years with the advent of the Internet and social media that um, the effects of misinformation are spreading um, a lot further. So one of the we're used to seeing it in political elections or gossip about celebrities and things like that. But more in more recent terms, we're seeing the impact on uh, public health. So obviously people are rightly concerned about COVID-19 and what are the symptoms and uh, what are the consequences of it. So there is a heightened fear about it. And they're using technologies like Facebook and Twitter and all the other social media platforms to stay abreast of what's happening. Uh, But we've seen um, a very significant rise in the amount of misinformation spreading about COVID-19. And that can have knock-on consequences for public health. One of those being that people are less likely to believe uh, what the experts are telling us. So one example I can point to is is the situation with Sweden. There is um, a news story, well, probably a number of news stories spreading that um, Sweden, who obviously didn't implement the lockdown measures as strict as other countries, that their death rates were a lot lower. 
and that got a lot of traction on social media, but it was actually not true at all that Sweden has a lot higher debt rates um, compared to their Scandinavian neighbours and other countries as well. So when people me read this kind of information, um, they might be less likely to follow the practices that we've been asked to implement, like the social distancing, like not gathering in big social groups. They're more likely to say, well, sure, it didn't have any effect in Sweden. And people start to believe that. Not only do they believe it themselves, they spread that information onto other people as well. And I guess people in all walks are affected by misinformation because I'm looking at the example of hydroxychloroquine um, being used uh, in WHO trials, uh, which has been off and on when it was discovered that the data set that was used to initially halt the trials could uh, best be described as faulty. Yeah. Well, I guess that word sums up the misinformation uh, fairly well, that it's faulty, it's not verified, um, that we can't stand over this and say this is reliable information. And particularly with that example, there is other news stories spreading that I think that particular chemical is also found in tablets used to clean fish tanks. And uh, some news stories are spreading on social media that taking this tablet will... uh, make sure that you're immune to COVID-19. And as far as I know, at least one person took the the tablet in America and died as a result. So I guess that's a severe implication of misinformation as well. So when we look at misinformation, you have to apply the question of qui bono, you know, I I mean, who is actually benefiting from this? Because it doesn't seem to be, I, I don't know, is it the traditional clickbait model or are state actors behind this kind of thing? Uh, it could be a bit of both. Um, people have their own agenda. Some people are more likely to uh, get involved in conspiracy theories and they want to they have their own agenda that they want to spread. So there's a multitude of reasons why misinformation happens. And that's nothing new, really, in today's world. That's always been the case uh, since we've been on this planet. Um, I guess what's different this time around and what our study tried to focus in on is what are the Uh, specific features of social media which might uh, contribute to this particular problem. So what we focused on was the whole situation of information overload or social media overload that we know that we humans, we can only absorb a certain amount of information and communication and after that we just get overwhelmed and we can't really absorb any more. So what we found in our study that when people get overloaded with social media content, they're less able to critically assess the information that they're receiving. So to receive a new story about um, COVID-19 being caused by 5G towers, they're just overwhelmed and they're not able to go through the steps and say, well, does this sound logical? Is this a reliable source? So when they get overloaded, we found in our study, they're more likely to believe that story to be true. And they're also more likely to forward that information onto their friends and family in their own social network, which only further contributes to the problem of social uh, of um, COVID-19 as well. It, it is certainly a problem that we've we've discovered in content moderators for social networks as well, that if you keep getting pummeled and pummeled with ideas that initially you know to be false, over time they, they attain a certain degree of plausibility. Absolutely. And that's uh, been a strategy used uh, across politics and sales agents and other people as well, that the more information they give you, they know that uh, a level of fatigue sets in. 
So um, if you're going to buy a car, for example, this agent will they'll get you to make lots of very small decisions up front. What kind of color in the letter do you want? What kind of knobs do you want on the radio? Because, you know, the more decisions that you make, the more fatigued that you become. So then when they hit you with more expensive options down the road, you're in a, a less able state to try and consider uh, what's the best option for me. So the same uh, applies to social media. That we're receiving so much information. We just get fatigued very quickly. We're unable to think logically and rationally about the uh, information. And that has a knock-on effects because you know, we're being asked to adopt recommended behavior when it comes to preventing the spread of COVID-19. And if people don't buy into that, if they don't believe it, if they believe other behaviors are uh, better, well, that can have um, a big implication for public health. There's a, an excellent term that I came across in your study there, cyberchondria. Uh, is, is this pretty much the, the, the overarching problem we're dealing with? Yeah, it's probably the, 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 the umbrella term, I guess. Um, we're, in our study, we're also interested in cyberchondria, which is um, people being exposed to lots of information on social media about illnesses, about health consequences, and uh, wondering if they, they are exposed or getting anxiety about whether they have these symptoms, not only themselves, but their friends and family as well. So uh, I guess one of the unintended consequences of the lockdown measures implemented by our own government and lots of governments around the world is that when people can't go to work and gather in, in their social settings, well, they have more time to spend on the Internet, on social media, and they're more exposed to information. And they're hearing a lot about the consequences and symptoms of COVID-19. And the more they hear about it, the more research to do online and the more they, they start getting anxious about uh, whether they're susceptible to these illnesses and what the consequences might be for, for them and their friends and family as well. So it can be a bit of a, a vicious loop as well. That The more time people are spending online and learning about these um, symptoms, the more they start to get stressed and anxious that they, they could be exposed to them themselves. And that only heightens people's fears, which is obviously not where we want to be as a, a population. And the word that you raised there of, of research, I think, is particularly pertinent because people don't seem to know what constitutes research. You know, they, they don't apply critical thinking. They just seem to think research is reading an awful lot of things that agree with what they already think. And um, do you think that sort of a, uh, where do you think that failing exists? I mean, uh, is this because of our content diet being so prescribed by algorithms that you don't have to think outside your little bubble you don't have to think critically yeah i think that's a, a large problem or the, the filter bubble it's often called that these algorithms are so good that once you go on to something like uh, in a simple example you go onto amazon and you look for cookbooks well, Amazon, the algorithms automatically think that's all that you're interested in. We just keep sending you information about cookbooks. If you go onto Facebook and you're looking at conspiracy theories, well, they just keep forwarding you information about conspiracy theories. And the more you hear something, the more you start to believe it. And you're in your own little filter, your own little bubble. And you're not exposed to other people's ideas or opinions, people who might disagree with you, uh, people who are different backgrounds. 
And that just reinforces your own biases, which is not good for critical thinking, not good for being accepting other people and their reviews and opinions. So part of it is um, how we consume our information nowadays, where we used to go to newspapers, which were written by journalists who to follow a certain standard and how they reported their news. Now those standards, are, anybody can be a publisher on the internet, anyone can be um, a reporter, set up your own blog or anything like that and get a news story uh, up and getting out there. Um, and the, the news stories that tend to do well are the ones that grab people's attentions and gets their emotions up, gets them boiling. Um, and, and part of that is the clickbait problem as well. So the business model and the algorithms behind it can all be um, a part of why we're seeing uh, a lot of this unverified information uh, to use um, maybe a more accurate term than misinformation in this context. So, yeah, people have to take personal responsibility as well. And that's something that we do. Well, me as an educator in university, um, we, in, we try and educate students on how to go about um, verifying that the information that they were using is actually accurate or reasonably accurate and valid. What steps should they look for? Looking at the source of where the information comes from. It's very easy nowadays to set up a website that looks very professional, looks like it's from a government agency or something like that. So you have to go through certain steps to check. Uh, can I really rely on this information? Is this person, have do they have expertise in, in the information that they're talking about? Does it sound reliable? And there are certain tests that we can do to help um, people um, better assess the reliability of information you're receiving, not just through social media, but through other platforms as well. I think what you're describing there is sort of a, a social engineering version of phishing, where you, you develop something that looks plausible enough, you know, in terms of design or functionality or whatever. But the, um, the intention behind it is completely the opposite of what you think it is. Yeah, absolutely. And um um, I guess some of the problem for that is uh, it, it can be clickbait as well that people wanting to to generate revenue for whatever news stories that they're trying to push or whatever agenda that they want to get across. So we'll probably see, for example, uh, um, straying outside my area of expertise, but the, the whole area of whether vaccines are linked to certain um, illnesses. We see a lot more of that now that well, once a, um, a vaccine for COVID-19 comes uh, out, and people will be debating whether we should take this or whether this um, uh, vaccine might cause knock-on health consequences and autism and things like that. So people have a certain agenda and they're, they're dead set on what that agenda is and they're not willing to listen to other people. And um, that can be part of the, the reason why information is so prevalent as well. So I guess to wrap things up, I mean, what can people do to actually combat these things uh, in the wild, uh, if you will? I mean, if you're if you're looking at people that you know are otherwise, you know, reasonable, how do you actually get on to the uh, the sources of misinformation, if you will? At what point do platforms do you think have to start taking responsibility for pushing sources of information that you know uh, to you and me might be fairly obvious as being less than kosher? Yeah, I think they're, they're starting to do that to some extent. Um, I know with Google, they try and direct people to verified information sources and WhatsApp have um, adopted um, features that you can only share news onto is it four or five other people and I think Twitter are doing something similar as well. So I guess from our study, um, what we found is that one of the problems behind misinformation is that when people become overloaded with too much news content on a particular topic, 
they're not able to verify the reliability. So what we suggest to social media companies is that if they can limit or spread out the amount of information on COVID-19 that people are receiving over the space of a day, well, that will give them a chance to absorb, to assess the reliability of the information and whether they should act on that. Um, so that's one thing that social media companies can do. Individuals themselves have to take personal responsibility as well when it comes to the, the spread of information. They have to, um, well, I guess what I recommend is that to consider your social media content is a lot like food. So we need food to survive. And for a lot of people, they need social media every day to survive as well. But when it comes to food, for example, we have to think about, well, you don't just eat all your food in one five-minute go. You spread it out over a day. That's uh, healthier for you. You have to think about the quality and the sources of where your food comes from. You have to think about the variety of the food that you're getting as well. Just consuming meat every day uh, for every meal, ultimately, in the long run, is not good for you. So the same thing applies to our social media content as well. It's spreading it out over the days so that we don't get overloaded at one uh, point in time. We have to think about the source of where that information is coming from. Is this reliable? Is this from the World Health Organization, for example? Or is it from somebody who just set up a blog that has no expertise in in COVID-19 or health? We have to expose ourselves to lots of different um, diversity of opinions as well. So that's good for us. The more diversity is ultimately a good thing. We can um, understand and appreciate other people's opinions. And that helps us uh, give us a better direction of how we should act. So, yeah, I guess thinking of our social media content uh, a lot like how we consume food would be of an advantage to people as well. And that was Niall Kitson chatting to Dr. Owen Whelan from NUI in Galway. Niall is uh, still with me. Uh, just before we head off for this week, Niall, we've, we've been looking at stories from Irish companies uh, that are adapting to COVID and bringing out new things to, to, in relation to COVID. What's the first story we have for this week? Yeah, we've got a couple of great uh, local stories this week. Local companies doing interesting things, seeing as it looks like our, our exit from lockdown is being accelerated, which is great news. So the first company uh, I want to give a quick shout out to is called Nutritics. And this company has launched a new digital ordering solution for restaurants and cafes looking to help customers get back in the doors and reduce the impact of COVID-19 on companies' bottom lines, which is a massive problem. But anyway, they're giving it a go. What they do is uh, they use QR codes to help people order uh, their food faster so you can order from you know the queue so by the time you get to the get to the till or whatever but by the time you get to somebody uh, in a queue to take your order it's actually there it's already at the queue your waiting time is being decreased exponentially so it's a nice little ordering solution it's available for free if you're a company until the 31st of october so give them a look now, if you are worried about catching the virus when you're out and about, or rather out and about indoors in other places, there's a Dublin-based company called Novaris who have patented a plasma killing technology and that they say can disinfect the air in shops, uh, offices, waiting rooms, factories, in any building where people share an indoor space. And this is how confident they are. They say that it has been independently proven to kill 99.99% of of MS2 bacteria, a surrogate of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, uh, which went on to become COVID-19. I'm getting into all kinds of technicalities, which I may be getting wrong, but the gist of it is, is they put this into your building and the air is clean. If you want to find out more about it, it's Novaris.com. 
Okay, uh, my turn again. Uh, I'm talking about another app to help the food and hospitality sector uh, called Zazu. Uh, and this is an app that combines navigation, booking, payment, and queue management solutions uh, into one central platform. Basically, this will allow users to reserve tables uh, for um, companies to manage their capacity and time spent um, sort of managing their food in their kitchens. It also provides contactless payments uh, without any the need for a card machine and can even help manage delivery and collection in certain venues. So that's another app worth looking at available from Google Play and the App Store as well. That's Zazu, Z-A-Z-U. And the last one from me is to do with a company called uh, Provident. And the uh, CRM is part of anybody who's in sales knows all about uh, uh, CRM. Provident are giving away uh, consultancy sessions so people can access the technology applications uh, that they're using, review their business processes and give advice on how to improve sales, customer service and marketing. If you want to take part in that and find out what it is they have that's better than HubSpot, uh, sales at providentcrm.com. They're probably going to kill me for mentioning (laughs) But but you know what? I'm just kind of I I see HubSpot all over the place, and the amount of content marketing that they do is phenomenal. And I'm beginning to notice it now. Uh, a lot of big brands around the world, it seems like they've just got teams of people doing content marketing and putting up these fabulously useful articles and all of it. It's the new journalism, Dusty. Oh, now I don't know whether we want to go that far, but anyway, <laughs> great. Listen, that is it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio and Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.